This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intricasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the Medicare Advantage Program, or specifically how, if at all, MA can be aligned with payment reforms under the Medicare Access and Chip Authorization Act, or MACRA, and the DHH Secretary's goal of having 50% of Medicare payments tied to quality or value by 2018. With me to discuss the topic is Ms. Molly Turco, Director of Policy and Research at the Better Medicare Alliance. Molly, welcome to the program. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Ms. Turco's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, since the 2010 passage of the ACA, CMS has been engaged in reforming the fee-for-service Medicare program to fee-for-value, where Medicare reimbursement is based on achieving higher quality and lower spending growth. In the 2015 passage of MACRA reinforces or accelerates this transition, since under the law, CMS will pay a 5% bonus to physicians and other eligible professionals participating in these so-called alternative payment models, or APMs. The Medicare Advantage program that now accounts for nearly one in three Medicare beneficiaries has been immune from these fee-for-service payment reforms. However, implementation of MACRA as proposed would allow provider participation in MA plans beginning in 2019 to count towards the retaining the 5% APM bonus payment. In order to do this, the provider agreements with MA plans would likely have to mimic financial risk and other criteria under CMS-defined APMs. To what extent MA plans will participate under MACRA and moreover, to what extent the MA program will parallel payment reforms in fee-for-service is again the topic of this conversation. So with that, Molly's background, let me ask the uh, preliminary question. Can you briefly describe the goals of the Better Medicare Alliance? Great, thank you, and thanks for that background. Um, so, yeah, so the Better Medicare Alliance, we're about a two-year-old organization that is headed up by Congresswoman Schwartz, who was a strong advocate for health care on the Hill for over a decade, and we are the leading advocacy coalition singularly focused on Medicare Advantage. So what that means is we bring together uh, kind of like an umbrella organization of all stakeholders who are uh, feel that MA is a really critical coverage option in Medicare. So we have doctors, we have nurses, we have uh, health plans, employers, aging services agencies, beneficiaries, and uh, in all we have over 70 organizations that make up our coalition. And our key goal is to articulate policy recommendations, speaking to all those different stakeholders, and we have a very ambitious research and analysis agenda uh, to look at quality, innovation, best practices, and all other things in MA to inform policymakers on how best to uh, improve Medicare Advantage and keep the option strong for the beneficiaries who we also represent. Great. Thank you. So as I noted in the introduction, MA plan participation could count towards providers receiving a 5% advanced APM bonus. Uh, Do you or how do you expect MA plan providers uh, to qualify as an alternative payment model again under MACRA? Yeah, so it's a good question. Uh, As you 
mentioned in your intro, as part of that other payer, Advanced APMs, which starts uh, collecting the data and performance here 2019 and then is for payment in 2021. CMS has very been very clear that the interpretation of MACRA is that this is really about Part B in the physician fee schedule. However, MA uh, arrangements could be counted towards that other payer, advanced APMs, for the threshold to allow those qualifying providers uh, to get their, their payments. And, you know, I think for MA, the CMS has been clear that the, the criteria for MA to meet those those standards are the same as they are for other APMs. The, the three key criteria are financial risk, quality, uh, performance standards, and meeting the different electronic health records and other IT requirements. So I think we anticipate we're still waiting to see more uh, clarification on that. Still need a, a final rule for for MACRA and then other regulation really talking about uh, how that will be viewed for those um, other payer advanced APMs for 2019 for payment in, in 2021. Uh, in the April 4th was when we got our final rate notice for the Medicare Advantage program, and in that, CMS said that it was collecting information from health plans to really understand the types of relationships that plans and providers are engaging in, in the Medicare Advantage space as it relates to um, alternative payment models. And I think that, you know, we are very supportive of, of helping facilitate those discussions. And also it's important CMS is engaging with providers to better understand what's happening in the MA space. And I think that that will inform going forward how providers are uh, getting, making sure that they have their, their you know, risk-based, quality-based um, arrangements counting towards those bonuses because, you know, we think that is incredibly important because providers are doing a lot of great work both in the fee-for-service and the MA space of really moving moving the ball towards value. So would you say you're on balance optimistic that come performance year 2019 we'll see a measurable participation in the MA program by providers qualifying for the 5%? Optimistic. I think that there, you know, from speaking to different members of our coalition, there is a, a really strong commitment, both plans and providers and other advocacy organizations, with the goals. I, you know, CMS has set out fairly ambitious goals of moving. I think they have their, their four criteria, and the end of that criteria is a global Based payment, and we really feel that that Medicare Advantage uh, should lead the way. We are uniquely set up as a capitated system in MA to forge that path. We have the flexibility, and and there's a lot of great work being done between providers and plans um, in the quality. You know, we we have our five star quality system that is a framework within which plans and providers can work together. Um, there is a lot of innovative work being done uh, on value based contracting. So, you know, I am optimistic that 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 will help move providers, both in fee-for-service and MA. But there is definitely a lot of um, commitment across all stakeholders in, in Medicare, both on the fee-for-service and the MA side, uh, to figure out different ways to move towards value. Because really, at the end of the day, what value is, is it's, it's figuring out um, the best way to take care for patients, the most efficient way to uh, look at chronic conditions and make sure that all incentives are aligned and that the, you know, 
if it's a best practice that that there is sharing of information. So I think it's incredibly crucial that the entire system learns those lessons and figure out ways to implement it on the broad scale. Great, great. Thank you. So let's move away then from MACRA. So regardless of the extent to which providers participating on, under MA plans uh, are qualifying for the 5% MACRA bonus, uh, how are MA plans otherwise thinking about moving uh, the program towards value or reduced spending growth? Or what does the landscape look like in MA in terms of plans and providers engaging in value-based contracting? Yeah, so I think, as, as I said earlier, that there is a lot of um, really great work being done in the, the MA space. I do think that there is a strong commitment within MA that they feel that, that we feel that we should be the leaders in value-based contracting. And there was recently a report from uh, CMS to Congress as part of MACRA of, of looking at MA and how it fits into MACRA and, and alternative payment models. And CMS does a really great job of outlining the great work that's being done in the MA space and, and how similar it is to the, the different alternative payment models that they ha are trying to uh, move for service towards. So we really feel that MA is doing the things that CMS um, wants to be done in Medicare. And um, I think that I've been impressed by some of the larger plans have, have fairly aggressive goals for for moving the system towards um, value-based arrangements. I know Aetna has publicly stated that they want 75% uh, of their uh, arrangements by by 2020 uh, to be in these value-based arrangements, uh, Humana at 75% by 2017. So I think that, that those publicly stated goals are uh, show that commitment. Um, I know that, that a lot of, of these larger plans are, are doing really dynamic contracting. We have a... Um, one of our coalition allies, Iora Healthcare, who, who works with MA plans and does a really innovative, within that capitated system, a really innovative value-based care for uh, for seniors. I also think that, that leadership in, in MA and the landscape has been impacted um, by the proliferation of provider-sponsored plans. So, we see in a lot of parts of the country, I know Pennsylvania, you know, UPMC and Geisinger have done a really impressive work uh, looking at ways to have provider-sponsored plans and, and within that unique framework of, of having uh, ties with providers and looking at ways to, to innovate care and, and lead the way towards value. So I think that that has impacted things at the regional level. Um, I know California and, and Kaiser has, has been doing good work for a while. So I think that the landscape... It, there is a lot of movement there, and I think that it's really important to maintain that flexibility to allow the innovation that is really unique to a capitated system to make sure that not only is there that capitated payment between CMS and the plan, but also that uh, health plans are, are working both at the regional and, and national level of looking at ways to, to work with providers to deliver the best care possible for beneficiaries. Um, and I think that that's happening at a broad scale and NCMS, and we are doing a lot of work to make sure that we can learn, learn exactly what's happening and make sure policymakers are informed of that. So thank you. Let, let's, let's go to a specific uh, I appreciate your mentioning what uh, the larger plans are doing, what their percent goals are, so they obviously parallel or consistent with the percent CMS is working towards. Mm -hmm. uh, CMS, as you're well aware, recently expanded its uh, 
Medicare Advantage value-based insurance design demo, the VBID demo. Uh, as of last week, they added three states to the seven original. So this demo um, will begin next year, but the three additional states will start in 18. Um, this uh, demonstration uh, generally gives plans uh, the ability to um, have more flexibility as it relates to reducing uh, beneficiary cost sharing and offering supplemental benefits for spe specified uh, chronic conditions. In fact, they actually uh, expanded the list for the number of chronic conditions under this demonstration. What's your sense of the appetite for participation in uh, this MAVBID demonstration and what's your crystal ball saying on, on the prospects for success? Yeah, so I think that value-based plan design is a really um, exciting area that, that everyone in the, the MA space is, is looking at and, and is really hopeful about. Um, as you said, uh, there is the, the VBID demo. Also, the Senate Finance Chronic Care Working Group has identified this as a bipartisan idea that that people on the Hill are excited about. So we're very supportive of looking at this. And, you know, as we sit here today, currently, you know, plans have to design a plan the same for everyone, and this gives the ability to really look at chronic conditions and figure out ways to incentivize uh, behavior or direct patient towards towards um, higher value care uh, based on their chronic condition. As I said before, I think that really the, the most important thing for Medicare Advantage to do to be successful is to figure out ways to better care for the chronically ill because that is, as more and more uh, beneficiaries age into Medicare, they have multiple comorbidities and, and really ensuring that we have high quality care for Medicare beneficiaries is making sure that we do preventative care, we do um, chronic care for these different things. We look at innovative ways, so staying ahead of telemedicine and any ways that we can do a better job and really tailor care towards those specific conditions. So I think that um, it's great that the VBID demo, I think there is definitely support amongst uh, providers and uh, health plans to to learn from this demonstration. Um, I'll have to wait and see uh, who, who participates. I don't know necessarily. I, I know that we will find out in September mm -hmm. uh, who was accepted. I know that there were larger plans that applied to be accepted, and, and we'll see in, in September with that announcement. But I do think that it's great, the refinements of adding um, three additional states and two additional chronic conditions and, you know, looking at the different cost-sharing for high-value services or providers, and I think that's really, as I said, the flexibility is a really important part of MA and allowing um, uh, plans to to design uh, their programs. And, you know, when they design those programs for value-based, they work very closely with providers to understand the different types of high-value services or providers or disease management programs that will result in, in better outcomes and better care for beneficiaries. One thing that I have found interesting talking to different MA stakeholders thinking about uh, value-based design is it is it is difficult. It's not, you know, as easy as it sounds to understand exactly what each of these chronic conditions requires understanding um, provider landscapes and services in different parts of the country. We do a lot of work on um, our coalition Meals on Wheels and YMCA are in our coalition and understanding uh, community-based partnerships because they, you know, the social determinants of health play such a big role in these different chronic conditions. But, you know, it takes a lot of work to understand that and, and to design a value-based plan. So to me, that's 
that is one thing that we have to consider thinking about these demonstrations or allowing flexibility on the broad scale is the feasibility for large plans and small plans, small nonprofit plans who we also are in our coalition who, you know, it's, it's difficult to put those um, whether it is IT changes or just figuring out the, the plan design. So it's really important to understand that as we uh, put a lot of hope in these programs, but I think it will take time to, to figure that out. Now, a good point about uh, each chronic condition has uniquenesses, and just to note the, uh, uh, some of these, uh, diabetes, uh, COPD, CHF, uh, hypertension, and then they just added uh, arthritis and um, probably the most difficult dementia. Is yeah. Dementia, yeah. So um, this is why we do demos because these are challenging tasks um, to improve. So let me go then to uh, my final question: We're looking obviously at a new administration uh, taking office or being elected in the next few months. Let's assume it's another uh, Clinton administration. And then soon thereafter, uh, we'll be looking at another MA uh, call letter uh, soon after uh, the next administration is sworn in. So what MA regulatory changes might you see in the MA call letter or under the new administration uh, beginning in January? Yeah, it feels like a million years away, but I'm <laughs> it's going to sneak up on us. Uh, we have a live election left to go, but... Yes, as you allude to, I, it's going to be a really tight turnaround this year. There's, you know, the election in November and then inauguration in late January, and then we have our um, our proposed rule in Medicare Advantage the first week of February. So it's less than two weeks between a new administration coming in and, and the proposed rule, which is such an important rule. It uh, sets all the payment and policy for the next payment year, uh, 2018. And it's great that we have more time. Uh, just as a little background, it used to be 45 days between the proposed Medicare Advantage um, rule and the final rule, and we and others asked for more time. So uh, Congress changed it, and now it's uh, 60 days, which we think is great because that really allows time for analysis of the proposed rule. It's a, you know, it's a complicated, big, robust uh, proposed rule, so it gives us time to really talk to all our stakeholders um, who have very different perspectives on, on Medicare Advantage and then get those recommendations to CMS. So the, the extra days are great. The one downside is it really um, puts a lot of pressure on that new administration coming in. So, you know, I think we're doing a lot of work to to um, advocate and educate on Medicare Advantage. I think there is a lot of bipartisan support for MA, over 400 uh, you know, people on both sides of the aisle signed on, members of Congress, both in the House and Senate last year. So I think there is a, a real strong support for the, as I said, the fact that MA and this capitated system is well-suited to figure out the best way to care for um, our Medicare beneficiaries and and really look at chronic conditions. And I know we're doing a lot of research work uh, with academic researchers looking at how best to do care coordination and understanding that. So, you know, we will certainly be, be advocating uh, and making sure that those new policymakers uh, have the information that they need. Of course, there will be many people um, working on this rule that, that have been there for many years and are very experienced in this space. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's always hard to know what will what will be proposed. I think generally that that move towards um, 
the goals of, of meeting the, the pretty ambitious goals and moving towards alternative payment models is something that, you know, regardless of the administration, it is a goal that is a bipartisan goal, and, and I would anticipate that remaining a key goal. I think that one area that, that we've been looking at is, is looking at the, the quality system, and so I anticipate there will definitely be um, more work during done to make sure that the quality star system in MA is um, is really where it needs to be and, and constantly improving that program, which is such an important um, backbone of, of making sure that there's high quality care in Medicare. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. There's also different uh, legislative priorities. As I said, the Chronic Care Working Group in the Senate, and I know the House has, has been trying to move some legislation as it relates to MA, so that will be interesting to watch. Um, in the in the fall, so I think there will be a lot of activity going on. I think generally um, that that as I said, there's a lot of support for the program. So that I would imagine there's going to be a pretty stable, um, not a lot of changes to the program, and and we'll make sure that any of the proposed regulations that we really um, look those over and and consult with our different stakeholders. So we have just one quick question going out, and I have to ask this. So. Um, when the ACA was passed, uh, there were um, CBO and other predictions that the uh, Medicare Advantage program would contract, and they were uh, uh, absolutely wrong. Uh, the program went in the uh, totally opposite direction and has had and enjoyed tremendous growth uh, over the last six years. In fact, in the intro I noted, we're almost at a third of beneficiaries being enrolled in MA. Do you anticipate this rapid MA growth to continue? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, as you said, MA has been able to really um, steadily grow in recent years. I think, you know, it's, it's hard to predict how different changes will work, but um, we look a lot at why beneficiaries are choosing MA, um, the different members of our coalition uh, really strongly support the program because it gives them that, that flexibility. It has protections and cost sharing and different things that, that seniors really care about. I think that as uh, MA, again, as I said, leads the way in, in chronic conditions and, you know, there's a lot of hope that things like value-based design and I think individuals with chronic conditions will be drawn to that um, to, to get better care for themselves or their children will, you know, draw them to that. So I do think that <clears throat> MA um, is, you know, no, and again, as I said, a lot a key component of this is is getting good research to understand if if MA is is um, caring for patients better and, and having better outcomes. And there's really hopeful uh, research on that, and, and we hope that more of that will will come out. So I do think that MA will continue to be a strong um, option within um, the Medicare system. There's a lot of um, really highly satisfied MA beneficiaries who are choosing um, Medicare Advantage and, and will continue to do so. And I, and I think that we are very supportive of that. So, so yes, I do continue to think that uh, MA will be a strong option uh, within Medicare. Great. So, Molly, I appreciate these comments. We're at our uh, time limit, so I want to say thank you for this um, brief discussion on the Medicare program. We'll see what happens going forward. Great. Thanks, David. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com.
Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.